podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, plus BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. We are the flagship show of the 1012 Network, plus partners with Sports Drink, your water cooler for all things sports and non-sports, a fantastic podcast network in their own right. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Boy, what a weekend we had. We had some drama. We had some excitement. We had some absolutely ugly football that should never have to be seen or witnessed by anyone ever again. I do not have to talk about it all on my own. Thank goodness. Uh, she is the vibe queen of the 1012 Network. That is JSJ Jamie Steyer Johnson. I keep adding to my titles, whether anyone else likes it or not. Vibe queen, I'm the dictator of the Discord. I will continue to add more. I will not be stopped. Yeah, so we, we've had a Discord for a while, and we just never really used it. And since Twitter may or may not exist this time next year, we felt maybe it was time to start getting people onto that Discord and utilizing it as a as a fun tool. So this is the first weekend we really had it kind of rolling. Uh, we've got quite a few people who are on there now who are talking and verbal. Uh, we've got a game day uh, channel. You can talk about stuff while games are going on. We've got a I'm going to make a bunch of channels. Jamie. I'm going to do some cool stuff. I basically just gave Jamie like, here, just do. I'm on Discord a lot personally, so we're going to get this rolling. Like, whatever you want to do. Uh, it's all you. Have at it. And so Jamie's going to kind of run things. So, yes, yeah, she is, uh, as I put it, the Discord overlord and the vibe queen. So we'll just, we'll just, if I, if we ever do this on YouTube and do video, I'm like, I'm going to have to have just like a scroll bar of all of Jamie's titles by the time we get there. Uh, titles, nicknames. So on and so forth. Official positions. Yes. Uh, our good friend Andy Mitz not joining us tonight. He is under the weather. Stuff's going around, people. I can vouch for it. I've got a sick kid. Uh, but we are not alone. The uh, the 1012, let's call him Stat Guru, a.k.a. Lockheed Stats Guy, John Wheeler, joining us back here again. John, welcome, man. I'm excited to be here. There's so many great games this past weekend. I can't wait to talk about them. Uh, you, know, you had TCU Texas, big time game down in Austin. West Virginia getting the win over Oklahoma. Super excited about that. Oklahoma State, Texas Tech picking up big wins. You had big games in the AAC with future Big 12 members. And then there was a game in Waco that we may or may not choose to talk much about. <laughs> I'm unexcited for that conversation, but I'm excited to be here. I feel like two out of the three of us are not excited to talk about their game, and one of us is like just going to talk about it. But I, you know, when as Jamie has said herself, like if you're gonna have to watch something ugly, you'd rather come out with the W than not. And uh, I feel like I, I now fully and truly understand what she meant by that after the Oklahoma State Iowa State game, a game we will talk about coming up here in just a minute. Why don't we just kick things off with the game that mattered the most as far as the Big 12 title game race? I think that is a good starting point. TCU has locked up a bid to Arlington at the end of the regular season with a 17-10 a to 10 win over Texas. And don't let that final seven-point spread fool you. Uh, final score uh, fool you. It wasn't even that close. It was 17-3 to three for a little bit. And then Texas got a defensive score in the fourth quarter, and that's it. 
their offense put up three points. Devonta TCU, Quinn Ewers offense. Uh, Quinn Ewers, the best quarterback in college football as Tom Fornelli anointed him uh, midway through the season. Not such a great game. For TCU, and we talk about it, it's the teams who make Arlington in the Big 12 or the teams who win the most uh, one score in close games. TCU continues to find new ways to win, find new ways to win different games. They've been able to come back from behind. They have won an ugly game now in Austin, which, again, the way you listen to people on national media talk, Greg McElroy, who obviously should stay out of the Big 12, Mr. SEC channel. Uh, I'm going to call it channel, not network, because you don't deserve that, to- uh, that term. Look, uh, they're just, they're soft. Tell me you don't watch the Big 12 without telling me you don't watch the Big 12. Call teams in the conference off. Talk about how amazing and awesome and incredible Texas is. Y'all watched Texas beat Kansas State last weekend and then decided, Texas is back, baby. Nothing like a good old one-game sample size. And I don't want to, like, dump on Texas. You guys have had it enough with the way that game played out in Austin. The world is doing that plenty. Oh, plenty, plenty, plenty. Another, another at best, four-lost season for the Texas Longhorns. And I've, I've seen the message boards. They're ready to move on. And somebody... <laughs> Message board geniuses, which is one of the best Twitter accounts that somebody created, is brilliant. Somebody at one of the Texas uh, message boards basically was like, "We should hire Sonny. Why didn't we hire Sonny? Why didn't we go to SMU and hire Sonny Dykes ourselves as opposed to Steve Sarkeesian? Can you imagine in Austin if they had announced that Sonny Dykes, failed Cal head coach, was going to be the head coach at the University of Texas? The fans would have absolutely revolted and burned Austin to the ground and salted the earth that it once stood upon." Guys, buyer's remorse. It is what it is. I still think Sark's fine. We'll see. But for TCU, that's the team we're going to talk about. 10-0, undefeated, 17-10 win. I, I, You cannot come away and not be impressed. John, I know you've got some numbers to back up or just to talk about here. I mean, what, what was your takeaway from TCU on Saturday? Well, I want to start by making a couple of comments on Texas. Get on the Texas coaching bandwagon before we get to TCU. Um I saw a note on Twitter that if Texas had kept um, kept their old coach from the the 2000s, Mac Brown, they had kept Mac Brown and repeated their worst nine seasons under Mac Brown. They would have been like ten games better or more than they were in the last nine years, which I thought was just astounding. Um, you know they you know they've cycled through coaches with the same results this year's team we talked several weeks ago about how they're a young team but they're showing promise and i want to say quinn yours had a bad game objectively and he looks like you know this year he has looked like a round one 2024 quarterback for the draft but this isn't 2024 it's 2022 and he's still a few years of maturity away from getting there where even when his team is not producing on offense, he can carry them to a win. He's not there right now. I'm not sure if he will be the guy next year or if Arch Manning will come in, who knows what's going to go on there, but you know, it's still a great effort by TCU. Um, you know, my notes on TCU this week, it's more about the national standing than it is the game itself because TCU, they looked great. They won a defensive game um, maybe for the first time this year where they just dominated on defense. Aside from Oklahoma, uh, I know they knocked out Dylan Gabriel, but they were looking dominant on defense early in that game. Um, but this is the kind of game where the talking points that the national heads use with TCU 
no longer are valid you know, from the actual evidence of a game against a good team with a good offense. Um, TC just played shutout defense. It almost reminded me of some of the games that TCU played in the past couple of years when they had Gary Patterson as a head coach as to how Texas looked on offense this past weekend where there, there were just moments where it seemed like the creativity of the offense was lost. Um, but I think that's a huge credit to the defensive effort by the Horned Frogs this last week. So when you get to the, the national picture, you think, all right, TCU, they've shown great offense this year. And now they have demonstrated great defense. And you wonder if that's going to change their standing nationally at all, um, um, given where the other contenders are at. At this point, the playoff looks like it's going to be the SEC champion, probably Georgia. Um, then the winner of the Big Ten, either Ohio State or Michigan, then probably TCU and someone else. And so you're wondering, is TCU just on their own? merit going to get ahead of either Georgia or the Big Ten champ it would seem right now probably not based on how people talk about them and I don't know if that's fair or not uh, I think TCU has a tremendous resume and they have shown tremendous capability on their own merit versus the other key contenders uh, nationally you know people talk about Georgia as the obvious number one team I think most of us would agree with that then most everyone nationally assumes that Ohio State and Michigan are a close 2-3 sitting there right behind Georgia. And then there's almost a step down in the conversation before TCU shows up. And I don't think that's accurate at all. I don't think the, the data shows that. I don't think the resume shows that for TCU. I mean, you think about how hard it is to win on the road. Uh, I remember that was a talking point that Joel Klatt had, uh, how winning road games are hard. And, and I think he mentioned that um, maybe a couple weeks ago that there were the top 10 teams when playing on the road had a, you know, were under 500 against top 25 opponents. You know, playing a good team on the road is, is not easy. And TCU has done that several times this year, uh, played good teams in a deep Big 12 on the road and picked up wins. You know, they did that in Austin on Sunday. And if you think about just the quality of wins that they have on the season uh, as compared to some of those other contenders, you know, when I was looking at numbers before our podcast here, I was looking at TCU versus Michigan, Ohio State, and Tennessee, who are the teams they are most likely to be ranked between or around. And when I define a quality win, I, I've got uh, statistics to help define a resume. I'm looking for you know, a certain win value in my data. And uh, I, I would define TCU as having seven quality wins on the season, beating Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma, and SMU, all qualifying as a quality win. Michigan, for comparison, has Penn State, Iowa, and Maryland. And that's it. You know, if you're looking at the top five wins, half of a team's resume right now, uh, for those four teams, uh, Ohio State and Tennessee both have five quality wins, TC with seven, Michigan with three. Uh, if you're trying to figure out who are Michigan's best five wins, you're picking that fifth win between three and seven Indiana and four and six Rutgers. You know, there's just not much there for Michigan 
to show definitively that they are a great team and definitively better than TCU. TCU has proven on the field at least four or five more times than Michigan has that they are a strong contender for the playoffs. So I think this week when we get into committee rankings, which we don't talk a ton about on the show here because usually we're talking about the the previous week's action, but when you get to the committee rankings this week, it'll be really telling if there is no conversation about whether TCU or Michigan should be ranked higher. Um, and, and again, it's just people don't understand the depth of the Big 12. It's a really strong league, and TCU has been a really strong team this year, and they demonstrated it once again on Saturday. I think the issue remains that people keep talking about the depth in the Big 12, but it's not given the respect it's deserved for the depth. It's more of like a, look how deep the conference is. Hooray. I mean, they're all, it's not like they're deep because there's so much good at the top. It's they're deep because there's just everybody's the same in the middle. And so they talk about the depth, but I don't think the depth is given the respect and appreciation that it should be, no matter how good this conference is from top to bottom. Well, guess what? You can tell me about how good this SEC or ACC or, or Big Ten is at the top. They have, what, 14 teams? We have 10. And we have an undefeated school. And the Big 12 is the only conference, the only conference in all of FBS, of all 10 conferences, the Big 12 is the only conference with two weeks left in the regular season where not a single team has been eliminated from bowl contention. No one has more than six losses yet. There are two weeks left in the regular season. Now, obviously, there are going to be a team or two who does not get to a bowl game, most likely, unless some utter chaos happens. But even the SEC, <laughs> Texas A&M, uh, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12, all the, FG, uh, the G5, every conference except for the Big 12 has at least one team has been eliminated from bowl contention unless you get to be one of the five and seven teams that get in. Derpa, derpa, derp. Hey, let's not uh, let's not talk too bad about that. that you know, uh, I I bet there's gonna be some some just fine teams that pull that off. You know, J- right, J- Jamie? Yeah, w- anyone? <laughs> would you believe me if I told you that Texas A and M in my you know this week I had fifty one rating systems that I pulled from to understand team strength and when we normalize all of that data texas a&m did not rank rate stronger than a single big 12 team or new coming big 12 team i thought that was pretty crazy i had them as the 69th strongest team in the country nice west virginia who we will talk about as i hot takes to defend uh, i had them at 67th so I i thought that was an interesting nugget you know in the sec something you know people don't understand how hard it is to win games in the big 12 you know you see someone like west virginia who picks up only two big 12 wins so far against uh oklahoma and baylor and you're like oh well it's a bad team that has a couple good wins and you know bad teams can win good games uh you know you've got arizona just beat ucla stanford beat notre dame this year arizona state beat washington vanderbilt just beat kentucky Indiana earlier this year beat Illinois, who's not bad. Boston College just beat North Carolina State. I mean, bad teams can beat good teams. Imagine playing your entire conference schedule against teams that are better than those bad teams that could still beat you. I mean, you are in a neat grinder of a conference this year in the Big 12. There's no, there's no Kansas, and I, I, the way we view Kansas, I mean, Kansas is 
is good. Like, it's a good Kansas. They're not any good. This is a good Kansas team. It's not a bad West Virginia team, but I will talk about West Virginia here in a minute. I mean, look, technically Texas isn't eliminated from Arlington. If they went out and Kansas State loses a game, they could get there. Um, but this does leave us, obviously, TCU is going to Arlington. They are locked in for the Big 12 title game with two weeks left in the regular season. doesn't matter if they lose the next two. They are going. But obviously, they would like to go undefeated and have an opportunity to go to the playoff. And I, I hope they do. That's about the extent of playoff talk I want to have on the show because we give it too much power. Uh, two closing notes on TCU. Uh, shout out to Steven Johnson, Stephen M. Johnson on Twitter. Uh, he writes for the uh, Fort Worth uh, Star-Telegram. Uh, Johnny Hodges currently leads the TCU in tackles at 66 total. Uh, Johnny Hodges told Johnson he reached out to every Power 5 school when he entered the portal and said Northwestern was the only school to respond, and they said he wasn't good enough. TCU was his only offer in the portal. Yes, the guy currently leading TCU in tackles was told by Northwestern he wasn't good enough to come play football there. Northwestern, who only win, I believe, is still over Nebraska. Nebraska. Yeah, in week one, zero, out there in Ireland, that Northwestern. Haha, <laughs> looks like the right purple team. Starter got... of the Nebraska curse. Oh, you know, yeah. Everyone who plays Nebraska does terribly after that game. Don't, don't, beat, amazing. don't beat Nebraska. Uh, one other thing I'll just note, you know, two of TCU's best seasons now have come at the hands of a red-haired quarterback. Sonny might be something to consider out on the recruiting trail. Uh, you know, we mentioned West Virginia. Why don't we, why don't we hop down there? Oklahoma going up to Morgantown in a, a ugly, weather-filled, nonsense game. I'm just going to say, as far as picks go on the show on Thursday, I did not do my due diligence and check the forecast for Morgantown. I will not make that mistake the rest <laughs> of the season because that over didn't get it near, near the over. Uh, that was an ugly and weird game. It was 12-6 to 6 at half because of a missed extra point that got run back. For, ew, it's just just awkward but West Virginia a much maligned team the conversations about Neil Brown this past week leading into that game were very much getting away from like he's not going to get fired to uh, and I'll have some thoughts on that in a second but they find a way score 10 unanswered in the second in the fourth quarter uh, part of that thanks to a missed field goal by Oklahoma but West Virginia gets their first win over the Sooners since West Virginia joined the Big 12 in what may have been OU's last visit to Morgantown before they leave for the SEC. So that is, doesn't matter. This is a, this is one of two we could talk about. Doesn't matter how ugly it is. If you can get out of there with the win, that's all that matters. So props to West Virginia and props to Neil Brown. He definitely needed that one. And I think the West Virginia faithful. Look, I don't think anyone who is anti-Neil Brown is going to change their opinion, but... That's certainly one that uh, has to feel extra good given the history of this series since West Virginia joined the conference. You know, West Virginia now 2-0 and at home in games this year where someone returns an extra point for two-point conversion going the other way. You know, they did that to Baylor and then won on a walk-off field goal. They did it to <laughs> well, It happened to them against OU, but the result of the game, another West Virginia walk-off field goal for the win. Amazing. Do you know that Oklahoma has not had back-to-back seasons without 10 wins since 1998 and 99? And this year, they may not even make a bowl game. I mean, they're, they've got Oklahoma State. There's no guarantee they're going to get that game, especially if Spencer Sanders is playing well. And then Texas Tech, who is quietly 5-1 and one at home this year, playing at Texas Tech. 
pathetic. I mean, that there are no guarantees that Oklahoma is even going to go to a bowl game this year. It's really surprising given where we thought they were going to be early in the season. Uh, 98 being the last season of John Blake era, 99 being the first year of Bob Stoops. They have not had fewer than 10 wins in a season since, wow, that's back-to-back seasons. Back-to-back seasons since, yeah, because there was a nine-win season, but still, like, yep. good grief. That's crazy. Uh, for West Virginia, look, here, here's here's what my notes are. Look, this is a huge win for West Virginia, but more importantly for Neil Brown and those at West Virginia who want to keep him in Morgantown. Yes, I understand most of the fan base is done, and I, I understand. I am not going to tell West Virginia fans that they should not have certain expectations for their program. I'm not going to tell any fan base, you should expect to be here. Never going to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't like doing that. You are fans. You invest your time, your energy, your emotions, your money into this program. And you know what? You are, have earned the right as much as anybody else to believe that your football program, basketball program, whatever, should have whatever kind of return on investment for you. That's fine with me. Uh, I've been on the don't. I don't think Neil Brown is getting fired because of the buyout train for a while. I am still on that train for now. I am, I am, let's just say I'm kind of leaning out the boxcar, kind of just seeing what's coming up down, down the tracks ahead of me a little more than I used to just be sitting comfortably. I think West Virginia and Shane Lyons specifically are giving Neil a chance to salvage this. Shane Lyons does not want to fire Neil Brown. He hired Neil Brown. It's his guy. Every inclination and thing we've heard implies that Shane Lyons doesn't want to have to fire Neil Brown. And I think if Neil finds a way to win one more and get to five and seven, which is a tall task, a very tall task with, I believe, Kansas State and Oklahoma State left on the schedule. Kansas State, uh, that one is at home, if I recall correctly. Yeah, they Kansas State at home next week, followed by a road game at Oklahoma State. If he can find a way to win one of those, 5-7, and seven, much to the chagrin of West Virginia fans who are ready to see him gone, might be enough to keep his job. I am a, a split-zone duo patron for those who don't listen to the show. It's quite good. Um Stephen, they had a they have a coaching gossip show that's in the paid version. So I listen to the Patreon shows. And Stephen Godfrey said on the show, the roughly sixteen point seven million he'll be dued or due at the beginning of the year exists. Don't ask where the money comes from in Morgantown. That was the rule. I, I that makes a lot of sense <laughs> to me. Um, but that the sixteen that the money to to pay his buyout at the start of twenty twenty three exists. So this very much feels down like. It feels like Neil Brown is coaching for his job because if it if it just ends four and eight, is there enough pressure on Shane Lyons to pull the trigger and move on, or can can Neil do enough at this point to salvage his job? If he gets to six wins, if he were to somehow win the last two, I don't think he will. It's a bowl game. Sounds crazy, but a bowl game's going to keep him there. But I just. I, I I just, I have a hard time seeing him gone. I do, because I think Shane Lyons wants to keep him. That would have to be enough outside pressure on Shane Lyons. Or Shane Lyons has to be the one who isn't making that decision. So uh, this would be just the fourth time West Virginia misses a bowl game since 2001. If it occurs, again, not eliminated yet. Just four and six, two games to go. Seems unlikely, but we shall see. I mean... I remember like early in the season, I feel like there was a lot of people who were saying like kind of expressing the concern of, okay, 
we all are are kind of unhappy with the way things are going. But I saw a lot of predictions of like, well, people are saying, oh, he's for sure going to get fired, blah, blah, blah. They're like, first of all, you have the buyout situation. That is what it is. But they're like, I can see this being one of those deals where you do just enough to be able to legitimately justify keeping him around. And it kind of feels like that's what's happening. And, and the writing on the wall was there fairly early where you have some really some really high highs and you have some really low lows, but in the end it, it does just enough. And like you were saying, you know, you can't tell a fan base how to feel, but like if a lot of people feel like, okay, we'd be better served moving on, but they do just enough to justify keeping the job, but not enough to like satisfy the fan base. That's a really, really tough place to be in as like an institution and organization and also as a fan base. And like, there's, there's not an easy solution. But, like, being in that in-between is not a fun spot to be. It's not. It's definitely not. It's a good way to, like, breed discontent and people to engage, which, you know, West Virginia is an extremely passionate fan base. But, I mean, anyone is susceptible to that kind of situation occurring. Yes. Yeah, it is. Again, it drives. Go ahead. Like I say, this year's schedule especially has just been so unkind to West Virginia. You know, it's not every year that you end up in the juggernaut of depth that is the Big 12 with a non-conference opponent in Pitt who's not bad, rivalry game. Um, you know, 10 of their 12 games were against top 50 teams this year. And you're expecting a, a program that is trying to build something the first well for the first time in several years build something and get somewhere to go four and six or better against top 50 teams which is not something that you know hardly anyone in the country has to do year in and year out that is very challenging as an ask for neil brown and what virginia they've played some close games and they have won a couple but they're finishing schedule does them no favors either playing Kansas state who I have as the 11th strongest team and Oklahoma state, the 22nd strongest team. And if you're thinking they need to win one of those two games to give Neil Brown another season, that is still a tall ask. You know, there are what 110 teams in the country that you would expect to lose both of those games. And you know, you're asking West Virginia to pick up one of those two huge upsets just for him to keep his jobs. If that's where they're at as a program and what they think about their head coach, then it's hard to see that happening. Definitely hard to see them going bowling. I'll remind everybody again, Neil Brown is owed 100% of his contract. That is the total remaining salary he is owed. So it's not like you're saving money by waiting. You just every day you wait is just another day off his salary. You're going to pay him his entire salary. He'll be paid 100% until December 31st, 2024, any time after that. So starting January 1, 25, he is owed 85% of his total remaining salary. So that is, when, you, when you hear that, like, well, they can save whatever by waiting until January. I mean, he's still going to get the money. You're not saving any money. So January 1, he would be owed $16.7 million. Um, the money apparently exists. We'll have to wait and see how that happens. Um, I, I, a curious question, and we'll save it for another episode, is 
where does West Virginia fall in the pecking order? And jumping into the market now, there are some Power 5 schools who are pretty close to finishing their entire process um, from what what I have listened to and heard. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Colorado. Um, so we will see. And others, <coughs> Arizona State, who really haven't done diddly squat because they spent most of their time deciding whether or not they should keep the AD and allow him to make the decision, we shall see. Um, among fan bases who are probably unhappy with their head coach and coaching staff at the moment, that would include the University of Oklahoma, the team who lost to West Virginia. All I can say for OU fans is preach patience. You guys haven't dealt with anything like this in a very, very long time. Again, year one of Bob Stoops of having a second straight non 10 win season and going through a new head coach. Like the roster turnover was insane. Your quarterback room was decimated. You lost a lot of talent to the NFL, to the portal. You lost your head coach. Um, it's an entirely new culture change. I, I thought like many OU fans that it wouldn't be as big of a hiccup as it has obviously been. And there have been some hiccups. The roster needs work. And the culture has to, to take root. And you have a first-time head coach who is learning some things on the job. We have seen some coaching mistakes, very obviously. And we have seen some issues by players because the roster just isn't what it needs to be. I know OU fans don't have patience or want patience because they don't know what that's like. They haven't had to deal with this in a very, very long time. And you really only have two years to figure it out before you get to the SEC because you'd rather have it figured out before you arrive than have to be figuring out after you have already arrived. So I would preach patience because Venables isn't going to go anywhere at the end of this year. He's probably not going to go anywhere after year two either. So your best bet right now is hoping that Brent Venables gets this stuff figured out quicker rather than later. Yeah, I think if Oklahoma doesn't get it together in the two years they have left in the Big 12, they are in danger of turning into Nebraska and the SEC as a central USA power who has national championships, all this history, but your program has lost momentum in a new conference that is not maybe as deep um, in the middle and bottom, but much deeper at the top where you expect to be. And I think that's something OU is at risk of, if they don't turn things around in the next two years, and maybe it's a, a godsend that they chose not to spend close to a hundred million dollars to leave early mm-hmm. to go to the sec, because if they were over in the sec right now, turning into Texas A&M, um, you know, a couple of years of that is just so killer to the momentum of a program. And in the big 12 where it's really, really deep, but maybe not as deep at the very top where you think your program belongs, there is a better opportunity to get there and then maintain that momentum into the SEC than if you went to the SEC and tried to build that momentum from scratch. So you know, it, at first I thought it was a mistake staying in the Big 12 for a couple extra years. The money you make up and the opportunity you're giving up to get a foothold in the SEC where you know you're going uh, and start to establish yourself there. You know, I have totally done a 180 on that. I, I think it's great for the program that they have a couple more years in the Big 12 where it's super deep, but maybe not as top-heavy uh, if they think they're going to get to where they want to go before going to the SEC. 
I mean, as much as they probably don't want to admit it, like it's you, you have to recruit differently. You have to play differently when you're going into a different conference. Like they probably want to be ready to step. Well, they probably wouldn't be at this particular second preseason probably would have been, we're ready to step foot and compete in the SEC right now, but it's going to be really different. And you have to demonstrate that you know what went wrong this year and you know how to change it really quickly because otherwise recruits going to look at you and say, well, if I'm being recruited to play here and I'm being recruited to play for, you know, name whatever other SEC school that's kind of sitting in the middle of the pack and say, well, I know how they fare over there. How are you going to transition there? Like you, you really have to make sure that you have things together because switching conferences is, is big in any situation, especially football. Uh, there's, there's a lot of nuance that goes into it and recruiting is going to be massive. You know, you, you think you kind of have your recruiting classes hammered out right now, at least for next year, but things change real quick. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. We'll see what happens to Oklahoma. Um, season's not lost. They get a beat up Oklahoma state team that can't run the ball next week at home. And then, as you mentioned, a road game at Texas tech, which will be a very interesting final two game stretch. They must win one to reach Bowl eligibility. Um, let's go to Waco, John. Let's just pull this Band-Aid off. Kansas State. Ouch. Yeah. I, I say Band-Aid. Let's, let's go with um, duct tape to the face. Uh, Kansas State gets the win in 38-3. This game looked competitive somewhat early um, and then quickly was not. Uh, Baylor got a field goal right before the half, and that was all the points that they could muster. I mean, look, Baylor looked like they had playing better. And a Kansas State team who once again loses Adrian Martinez in the game, Will Howard comes in, and it's not that Adrian Martinez looked bad this offense at all. Um, Your first drive, you 13 plays, 36 yards. It's six minutes and 38 seconds. I mean, that's some... Big 10 nonsense right there. Turn it over on downs. But for Kansas State, like, the the nice thing is Will Howard comes in and impresses again. Like, he's just I, – there's I don't think there's a better backup. And, and and I think there's a case to be made between Jason Bean and, and Will Howard, but I don't think there's a better backup quarterback in the Big 12 than Will Howard, who at this point don't know what's wrong with Adrian Martinez. Maybe we'll see him back out there again. But the way Will Howard has continued to play – for Kansas State, both as a starter or in or in relief duty, like I know it's not a quarterback controversy, but it might need to be, and and it may just be a case of Adrian Martinez is out for a while. Look, Baylor did not play well at all, and Blake Shapen did not play well at all. He absolutely got beat in the quarterback on quarterback with Will Howard. I mean, the yardage doesn't say it's a big deal. Kansas State four hundred five to Baylor's three hundred six, but two turnovers by Baylor. Uh, you had a couple drives that ended with a turnover on downs, including one, and I get it. It's late in the game. You are down. It's late in the third quarter. The third quarter is coming down to the end. You are down 24-2-3. And you decide, we're going we're gonna to go for it on our own 19. I'm all for the going for it on fourth down, and I think there's a lot of reason to do so. And I, you've talked about Texas Tech and Baylor being very aggressive at doing so. Um, there are times when being conservative kind of works in your favor. And you can say, well, there was no way that Baylor was going to come back had they punted the ball away. And 
I'm, I'm not, I get it. I get that you had to be aggressive in that spot. And I know it's kind of like hindsight 2020 stuff now, but man, that, that was a tough decision at your own 19, because if you knew if it failed, that was going to kill you. Yeah. I don't think, I think the game was over before they even reached that point. They had shot themselves in the foot so many times, you know, my thoughts on Baylor there, they played bad and had so many moments where they shot themselves in the foot against BYU and West Virginia in road losses that they barely lost both of those games. And then, you know, I always thought, what would those games have looked like against a top flight team? And this is what it would have looked like against a top flight team who's playing well. You know, Baylor, when they play their best, are as good as we thought they would be going into the season. And, what they don't have is the consistency to play their best anywhere close to all of the time. You know, Kansas State, they're great. And, you know, when they – I'll say that Adrian Martinez has been great this year for them. But I think Will Howard is the QB with a higher ceiling. Um, and I, I question if they had been playing with him all year, would they have lost 14-7? to 7? at home against Tulane, maybe, but probably not. They probably put up more points in that game because it's a less methodical game. Um, your passing game has just opened up so much more with Will Howard. You know, Adrian Martinez played the whole UT game. They lost. Uh, Will Howard was in when they were pulling away from TCU uh, in the second quarter before he got hurt and TCU stormed back. You know, that's not to say that they could not have won a lot of games with Adrian Martinez, and they're not a bad team with Adrian Martinez. But I think if they were to play Will Howard going forward, I think their ceiling as a team is higher because of how it opens up passing game in a way that Adrian Martinez may not. It's a less methodical offense um, by a little bit, but it is just so much more dynamic through the air. So I, I think Baylor, I'm very grateful that they chose to save all of their points for the game against TCU this next weekend. <laughs> um, they just they looked at the schedule and thought, if we're going to score points, we'd rather do it against TCU than Kansas State. So uh, that was a wise strategy, I think. Uh, hopefully that'll pay off. Um, but Kansas State, they're great. And I think you know if they, if they stuck with Will Howard, their ceiling is just so much higher. Have them at you know, with the win, you know, it obviously puts them in the pole position to make the Big 12 title game. I think the, the math right now, I have like an 80.4% chance that things unfold where Kansas State, either they win out or they lose and Texas also loses a game um, where they'll, they'll be in the Big 12 title game almost certainly. And it'll be really interesting, especially if uh, you know, they were winning with either of their top two quarterbacks against TCU at TCU earlier this year and it was only after they went to their third string quarterback that TCU stormed back uh, and held them virtually scoreless on defense. So in, in a big 12 title game rematch, there's no guarantee that TCU is going to have the same level of success they did in the second half against Kansas state earlier this year. Well, it was also T- Kansas state having numerous defensive players who got were out in that game against TCU, which allowed TCU's run game to become more effective. So it, it, it would be very interesting to see a rematch between TCU and Kansas State where both teams are healthy. 
and both teams are we'll, we'll just see um it, it feels like that's the case again TCU's a lot Kansas State if they went out they're in um and you look at who they have left on the schedule they they go to West Virginia obviously Morgantown's tricky but you would expect them to beat West Virginia on the road and then they get Kansas in the biggest sunflower showdown in far more than a decade I mean it's gonna be a huge game against Kansas I mean a massive one uh, the other two teams that are technically still in contention are Texas and Baylor, both sitting at four and three, but they both need Kansas State to to lose. Um, and they both kind of went out and then hope that they get some sort of tiebreaker scenario, but I don't, I just don't, I don't see that likely coming to pass. Yeah, I mean, Texas, they could get in with one Kansas State loss. And, and Texas should be favored in both of their remaining games against Kansas and Baylor. Although we know from last year that when Texas plays Kansas, that's never a guaranteed win. And uh, if Baylor plays at their peak, that's not an easy win. But still, they them winning both of their games very plausible. And they would just need Kansas State to drop one of those two. But Kansas State also unlikely to lose either of their final two games. I saw someone make the well. Obviously, Texas was looking ahead to next week's opponent comment on Twitter, and it was just Chef's kiss. Uh, that being Kansas in Lawrence, of course. Uh, so for Baylor, like, look, I, they had it all in front of them. They had Kansas State, TCU, and Texas all on the schedule. Um, with this loss, I, they're, I'm out. I'm out on them. They're not. They're not making it to Arlington. The the chaos is required is too great, and I just don't see that happening. Um, which is, you know, a team picked. Preseason number one in the Big 12, this is definitely what you would call a disappointing season for them and the losses that they have, have accrued. And with TCU and Texas still left on the schedule, there's still a lot to play for because of the opportunities and the teams you are facing and the rivalries that exist there. But there's also a big opportunity for Camp Baylor to have a very, very disappointing year. They are going bowling, uh, one of uh, six teams who are currently uh, bowl eligible in the Big 12. Uh, one other team that is bowl eligible and uh, locked up a 17th consecutive winning season under head coach Mike Gundy would be Oklahoma State. In Jamie, you said it when when Iowa State beat Iowa, and I stand by it. I understand your point now. Doesn't matter how ugly it is if you get the win, because if you're going to have to sit through something that god awful, you hope that you at least can be victorious and not have to be the loser of said game. Uh, unfortunately, this time. Uh, Iowa State was the loser of said game, while Oklahoma State was victorious. I have no idea to, to this point how they did it, because that was a game where even after like four turnovers, you're still like, well, OSU's losing. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, to those who want to say the Spencer Sanders came in and solved all the problems, he was a savior. Sure, he did lead the touchdown drive that got Oklahoma State the lead that they were able to, to get them to the lead, and they were able to retain it. Obviously, they had a field goal later on after uh, what was the fifth Iowa State turnover to get the 20-14 to 14 win and a big fourth uh, fourth down stand by Oklahoma State. Colin Oliver gets in the sack on Hunter Deckers to get OSU the win there in Stillwater. Um, OSU's run game looks like it's getting worse and worse and worse every week. It is it is broken. It is bad. I'm not sure if it's the running backs. I'm not sure if it's the offensive line. I'm not sure if it's play calling. I'm not sure if it's just a, a beautiful blend of all three coming together to make the most putrid-looking run game of the Mike Gundy era. And that's saying something because 2014's run game was atrocious. It was basically backup quarterback J.W. Walsh who would come in in the red zone and just pass a run you never knew and nothing else. Uh, I always like to say Mike Yersich somehow MacGyvered a running game together 
uh, as the OC at Oklahoma State in 2014. This year's rush game is god-awful. Spencer Sanders came in in this game. Obviously, it was Gunner Gundy for a while. It wasn't pretty other than one beautifully placed 85-yard touchdown bomb to John Paul Richardson that gave OSU a, a lead early in the game. Let me just let me let me read through this. Iowa State should have won this game. They outgained Oklahoma State by 89 yards, held the ball seven more minutes, was six of 17 on third down. Oklahoma State was one of 14 on third down, one for 14 on third down. Uh, but when you lose the turnover battle five to two and miss opportunities, like they turned one Oklahoma State turnover into a touchdown, the other was a missed field goal. Uh, Iowa State turnovers came at the Oklahoma State 37, the Oklahoma State 25, the Oklahoma State 24, as well as the Iowa State 20 and the Iowa State 49. I mean, it's just missed opportunities for Iowa State. It's an Iowa State team whose continually best defense in the Big 12 is great, and the offense continues to just complete, completely screw this team over. And, and Iowa State had special teams things go their way. They blocked a punt that got them their first touchdown against Oklahoma State. One of their touchdowns came because of a blocked punt. The special teams showed up in this game for Iowa State, which is something they have not been able to say in the Matt Kumble era. And yet the offense turning the ball over five times in a game that they absolutely should have been able to win and get themselves that much closer to bowl eligibility, they were not able to. Look, I am not going to in any way, shape, or form say that Matt Campbell isn't a good coach. He is, and he has elevated Iowa State to a level that no one ever would have expected anybody to elevate Iowa State to, and that, in large part, is why Matt Campbell is such a good head coach and why we know he is. I'm going to read a little something to you. I did the numbers today um, while I had a moment without the children. One was it? Sleep. Matt Campbell in one-score games. We've talked about this a little bit. They play at least five one-score games a season. They did five in twenty sixteen and five in twenty eighteen. Otherwise, they've had seven, six, six, seven, and six. They've six so far this season. They still have a few games left to go. He has a winning record in one score games in one season. I won't be hard to figure out which season that was. It would be the one where they went to the Big Twelve title game and had their best season, frankly, ever in Iowa State history. One could argue they were four and two. The next best was three and four in twenty seventeen. He's one and five in one score games this year. Two and five last year. Matt Campbell's problem remains an inability to close out close games. They win big games. They, they blow some teams out. They've been blown out as well. But when it comes to one-score games, and we talk about this in the Big 12, as close and competitive as it is, you have to be able to close things out in one-score games. They are 1-5 this year. 2-5 and five last year. So they are 3-10 in the last two years under Matt Campbell. That is the story. We could talk about how bad the offense is or the special teams. That is the problem for Matt Campbell. They can be in these games. They cannot close the deal. You know, Kelly Ford, who's big in the college football data science space, oh, he keeps track. We know of Kelly. We have him the, on the show. Yeah, we, we, we keep track of the uh, essentially the what if universe where every one score game is. Flipped. Oh, yes. That and every I, week. I was thinking like, Jamie, how would you be feeling right now if Iowa State was eight and two with a loss to Iowa and Oklahoma on the year. You know, you've got one loss in conference I play. You are would. on track to play in the Big 12 title game. I would pay attention to football, probably. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's crazy to think every single year where you're thinking, all right, 
who was really good in the Big 12. And then you're looking in the middle of the pack and you're like, which of these teams could have been there at the end of the season in contention for a Big 12 title game berth? And every year Iowa State is like, well, you know, if they'd gone 500 in one score games this year, they would have been playing to go to the Big 12 title game at the end of the year. This year, they were three and three instead of one and five. You know, they're sitting there at you know four and three in conference play, and you know depending on where the tiebreakers are, maybe they're the team waiting in the wings behind Kansas State, hoping that the Wildcats pick up one extra loss so they can sneak into the Big Twelve title game. I mean, it's just crazy. So many years where five hundred ball, what you would expect for a team that has not dominated but not been dominated in conference play, you would expect somewhere around 500 in all of these one-score games, and they just cannot get to that hurdle. It's amazing. Yeah, that's the word for it. It's, I don't know. I said, like, I, you, you have to have a coping mechanism, and it's very easy for me to tune football out. So I am disappointed. It is a sense of deja vu. Eric and I talked on this week's episode of Cyclone Family Podcast that it just feels like we've watched the same game over and over again. Literally, it doesn't even matter who the opponent is. Like, you're you're playing the same game. Like, no matter how good or how bad the opponent is, we've played the same game almost every single week this season. So, it, it, it gets old, and at a certain point, you just, like, you can't watch the same thing again. Like, I mean, I'll, I'll watch in quotation marks, but, like, I'm not engaged. If I'm doing something else, I'm not going to pay that much attention. Like, I, whatever. It's, uh, yeah, it's rough. I, it gets old. Yeah, I think it's another year of Iowa State wasting a really good defense, which is also unfortunate. That's something you see both Iowa schools are in the market for wasting awesome defenses with poor offensive play. Now, it's more drastic with Iowa who, you know, just one of the worst offenses. It's, it, you know, people go to the games wearing shirts that they root for the punter for Iowa football. But with Iowa State, you don't hear that talking point as much. But I think their defense this year is really good, and they are wasting it. You know, last year their defense was really good, and to some extent they wasted that defense. And you wonder, you know, are they going to continue being a dominant defensive team that just cannot turn the – corner on offense or at some point uh, you know does Matt Campbell and staff turn things around on that side of the football do they find you know we thought they had a star quarterback in Brock Purdy who could carry their offense and in moments he did and now you're kind of back in the void not really knowing you know if you've got the kind of quarterback who can even be a, a top half offense or lead a top half offensive unit or is it the coaching that needs adjustment or change turnover you know, there's so many questions on that side of the ball that need to be addressed if they're going to take advantage of what has been a run of really good defenses oh this is this is a top 10 defense like stop rate fei defense like going through the numbers the last few weeks like this is this is a this is one of the i'll, I'll be broad just to be, cover myself someone wants to argue it's one of the 20 best defenses in college football this year it's the best defense in the big 12 it is that good and it hasn't mattered 
It has not mattered because something else always goes wrong. And like Iowa State, Hunter Deckers has not been it. The run game has not been there. That it just it just has not been there. Whereas the run game for Iowa State has been so reliable the last few years with David Montgomery, and then uh, the guy who just left, who's forgive me for not remembering. Reece Hall. Thank you. Uh, who's up in the Jets <laughs> right now? Like I said, here like yeah, he's running for the Jets, so he's injured actually right now. But like they've had a he's stud. About to be rookie of the year. They've had a stud running back. You you had Kolar at tight end who was this just go to. It was like the Travis Kelsey of. The Big 12, just, yeah, there he is again, gosh darn it. And yet, they can't figure it out in close games. And I think for a long time, it was special teams that's killed them because their special teams have been awful every year since he got there. I mean, the year one was fine, but every year it's gotten worse and worse, and we've talked about that. I just, if if you're Campbell, and I can make the same point for Gundy, even though they won, and and, and his record indicates maybe he knows exactly what he's doing, but they're, it's, it's the... Continuity for continuity's sake isn't always a good thing. Consistency is great if it's consistently good. If you're doing it just because you are a, you you care about loyalty and you're going to stand by your guys and blah blah blah, that's all great. I understand all of that. But at the end of the day, you have a job to do. And if you want to go down with the ship with them, that's fine. And I'm not saying Matt Campbell's time and and Ames is anywhere close to done. That's not the point. The point is. You've stood by your guys and you continue to not make changes to the coaching staff, and that's great. But if you're consistently having a problem and you you say you're making changes to do it, but the problem's not changing, then there's probably because there are issues you are not wanting to deal with or changes you don't want to make that might actually fix this problem. And so you look at Iowa State and their inability to win close games. They play in a lot of close games. You have got to look and say, what is what is the thing that can get us over this hump? Because in theory, all things should level out, right? The things that you have a bad year at this, you're usually better the next year. If you're good at this, maybe if you're great at this one year, you might level things. Things tend to level out. And for Iowa State and close games under Matt Campbell, they have not. They're nowhere near 500. And that is just, it's insane. It's crazy. I don't, I don't understand it. Uh Oklahoma State, look, your run game's terrible. And uh, Spencer Sanders did did well. Um, I basically, once he came into the game, they said, Spencer, go in there. Running backs, like, just go out there and block. Uh, we're not going to let you do anything. We're not going to have you do anything. We just you, we can't run the ball, and we're tired of trying. Uh, shout out to Pistols Firing Blog, PFB. They put the stat list together that I thought was very, uh, very nice because everyone wants to say Spencer Sanders came in and was the savior in this game. Sure, uh, the possessions of the second half of its Iowa State, uh, three plays, zero yards punt, three plays, seven yards punt, three plays, negative nine yards interception. Sanders enters, three plays, seven yards punt, eight plays, 63 yards TD. Awesome, awesome drive. Three plays, four yards punt, four plays, one yard made a field goal. That was off of the last turnover. Three plays, three yards punt. Um, Oklahoma State doesn't have a run game. They don't have a run game. They cannot run the ball. It is absolutely killing them. And if Spencer Sanders can't do everything for OSU or play, then the OSU offense is incredibly ineffective. It is reliant entirely on a passing game, and you've got wide receivers who are dropping the ball more and more. I OSU is lucky to get this win. Iowa State was just so bad on offense and turned the ball over so many times that they couldn't get the win despite every opportunity to do so. We'll see what happens to Oklahoma State. I don't take away from this win like, things are better at OSU. No, you just got to win. That 
We blocked a punt, and I thought that meant we would automatically win, if I'm being honest. I had no experience with making that play, so uh, the way I understood it was it was just a forfeit, but I was wrong. <laughs> I got to brush up my, my rules knowledge, I guess. You know, I wonder if you told an Iowa State fan, you know, you think about what are the great moments in Iowa State football in the last 10 to 20 years? You know, they're not a ton. You know, there were some dark days in the early 2010s. Get some weird ones. Um, but, you know, you remember games like when they upset Oklahoma State to ruin their chance to go play for a national title. And you know, part of me wonders, like, if Iowa State could have gone six and six this year, or if they could go five and seven and beat TCU in the last game of the season to ruin their chance at going to the playoff or make it very hard for them to go to the playoffs, you know, most fans of a school would think, oh, well, let's take the bowl game. And, you know, maybe not all is lost. You know, there still is a chance for a memorable moment this year. And given that Iowa State can't seem to not play a one score game, there might be a very real one-score game chance to do something memorable still with a team that has a great defense and can, at moments, play offense. You know, maybe something special could, you know, help make this season a memorable one, even if your team is almost certainly not going bowling. So, still something to look forward to, perhaps. The that's that's objectively accurate. There's still a chance. But if you talk to 98.5% of the fan base, they'd be like, well, no, because you can't let yourself have hope. If it happens, we can all go rage. We can, you know, go dig up the goalpost and throw it in Lake Levert, which would be a trek and impressive. It'll be real cold. But uh well I suppose that'd be that'd be a long trek cuz that'd be <laughs> that'd be on the road. But uh you could go down to uh, Jack Trice and just do it for the for the principle of the thing. But uh a lot of people are either very angry or just tuned out as a coping mechanism. Objectively you're right, but you would not probably catch a cyclone fan saying that Iowa State is at home against Texas Tech this coming Saturday a team that has not won a road game yet this season if my memory yet. serves properly I'm just saying 0-4 on the in, in two road games it's a big one for both teams because Texas Tech needs one more win to get to bowl eligibility and we are now on to Texas Tech and Kansas but first before I forget, because we're starting to go along, and I don't care, but I know we were going to try and talk basketball, but we'll, you know, luckily we have a basketball podcast, Midwest Madness, hosted by Robert Triano. You can go check out. He's doing a great job. Uh, before we talk Texas Tech and Kansas, let's just do a little podcast business. Homefield Apparel, the home to the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel there is, and the long-standing sponsors here on the 1012 Podcast and 1012 Network. We love what they do there at Homefield. Um, we're very sorry for their team in Indiana and the year that they're having. But look, the core collection, it's the home field shirts without any logos. And you say, well, why would I want a home field shirt without a logo? I know it's crazy because the logos are incredible and, and there's 
more than 100 schools available, you're, you're going to find a shirt. But if you're another person who's like, I don't want to wear shirts from other schools, and that's fine. I don't judge you. But I, I'm, I'm running out of shirts from high school. Then just get the core collection. Just get the most comfortable t-shirts, sweaters, and hoodies possible in plain colors. Like, why would you not? They're so comfortable. Why would you not just want to wear that? Like, look, I'm wearing Homefield right now. I've got my Everyman and Wildcat. Like, I'm, I'm wearing Homefield all the time that I can, and I need some core collection um, just just to mix it up. Because sometimes I got to go to somewhere into like an event and I need to wear, I just want to wear a t-shirt, but I don't need to wear like a school shirt and get the question of like, oh, you're a TCU fan? Or a question of why are you wearing a shirt with a what looks like a frog and a coat? Like, well, it's a TCU shirt. Well, uh, what's, what's, and I don't want to have a long conversation. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to talk home field all day with anybody, but I don't like conversations with strangers. So sometimes I prefer to just not have to deal with that. Sorry, I don't it's just, it's, I'm not like antisocial. I just, I have enough friends. Um, I've lost the thread. Let's just get this done. Homefield Apparel promo code Network12 N E T W O R K one two gets you fifteen percent off your first purchase. You are not gonna buy one item. You're gonna find one, and you're gonna go, oh, and I wonder what else they've got. And then you're gonna have a cart full, and you go, man, I really wish I had a discount for this because I'm about to buy a whole lot of things for me and my loved Especially ones. Especially since they have joggers in the core collection now. Yes, I buy things for me and my loved ones on my holiday shopping list, and I've decided to buy everyone things from Homefield this year because. I love them so much. Use that promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, for 15% off your first purchase. And you and your loved ones can be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel this college football and basketball season. Or cheering on your team in the NCAA Women's Soccer Tournament, of which the three current Big 12 teams, Texas, TCU, and West Virginia, have all advanced to the second round. Uh, I forgot to check on the two other incoming. One of them, I think. Oh, BYU is. I forgot to see what UCF's doing. I'll I'll do that and tweet about it. Uh, Texas Tech and Kansas. Sorry, I'm trying to shake off a cough. I don't want to cough anymore. I'm tired of it. Texas Tech getting the win over Kansas. Texas Tech now one win away from bowl eligibility. As we said, five and five with two to go. I'm going to be honest. I saw none of this game, and I have not gone back and watched it, so I don't feel like I should have any sort of commentary or thoughts on it because I don't know what to think other than Texas Tech won big. Um, box score indicates this was a weird game. Anybody have any thoughts? I think uh, Bean looks like a capable backup, but not capable to, you know, he's not Daniels. And I, Kansas could be really scary next year once he's back healthy. Um, you know, the momentum their program has built this year. You know, if they finish six and six, that's still a momentum building year for Kansas. Uh, Texas Tech five and one at home. They could lose to Iowa State on the road, where they have not won a ro- true road game yet this year, and that would mean at home playing OU, who may also need that win for bowl eligibility. So that could be a big home game to finish the year. You know, Tyler Shuck, I think is how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked great in that game at times. You know, there are a few rusty moments having not played all year, but for the most part, he looked really good and kind of makes you wonder, would Tech already be bowl eligible if he had played all season? Um, not sure, but it was good to see him back there. Game one starter for like a series before he was out for a while with injury. Um, not too many other thoughts on that one, but I think, Given that they have won that game, it sets up almost certainly 
a case where one of the two between Tech and Oklahoma will need their last game to make a bowl, you know, make bowl eligibility. You know, one of the two of them, or maybe both, will need to win that game, which that's a really interesting dynamic to finish the season in Lubbock. I've got a feeling. I don't know. Again, Texas Tech has not won on the road. Iowa State, obviously not great this year. Texas Tech is fun. They're not a bad team by any stretch, even at 5-5. Five and five, But they have not been good on the road. They've, they've gotten up in games. They got up on Oklahoma State, lost by double digits, got up on TCU, lost by double digits. I just I look at this and say, I'm really interested in this Tech-Iowa State game. You know what? Let's just lead us to the way we always wrap the show. Lots of basketball action. Again, listen to Midwest Madness Podcast. I Jamie is super excited. Jamie, I we have to – oh, John wants to talk basketball for a second. I want to say you're doing a disservice to the podcast right now by ignoring the teams that this podcast covers. I know. We cover the Big 12 teams. I know. And the future – you know, you've got UCF had one of the two biggest – wins in terms of changing things for conference title race thank you, you know, they, thank you, they beat Tulane on the road huge win for UCF and now Cincinnati who quietly is still in the hunt for the ACC or AAC I should say title they get Tulane and at home and I have them as 52.6 percent you know, odds on winning that game, which would set up a rematch with UCF. They played a wild game earlier this year at that Central Florida won, and it would set up a crazy game between two teams that next year will both be in the Big 12. One of them is going to be carrying, potentially, the momentum of being a conference champion in 2022 into their inaugural Big 12 season. So I think that's just deserve to mention before we get into basketball talk or game of the week next week talk uh, that, you know, you've got that huge result in the AAC, which now puts Cincinnati in a spot where they host Tulane and the winner of that game is going to play central Florida for the AAC title. Yes. Thank you, John. I, I'm, I do my best. Okay, folks. And we went long on other things and I don't like this podcast to go exceedingly long each time. Because I don't like super long podcasts, so I don't want to deliver a super long podcast. Uh, your point is valid. You have three teams atop the AAC, UCF, Cincinnati, and Tulane at 5-1 and one in conference play, 8-2 and two overall. Now, look, you can argue that SME and Houston, who are both 4-2 and two in conference play, are not out of it yet there, but I think this is a three-horse race. And UCF's sitting pretty after the win over Tulane. They have a Navy at home and then a road game uh, against USF. The last game likely in that rivalry series, Navy and USF are both very bad. So it's don't trip up and you are playing in the AAC championship game and very possibly, well, you're hosting it. Because you'd have the tiebreakers over both Cincinnati and Tulane. You would get to host the AAC championship game as long as you don't trip up over two teams that you should beat handily. Wow, that's just, that's crazy to say for UCF the way the season started so up and down and weird. That loss to Tulane in week two, the road loss at ECU that wasn't even close, and now they're sitting here two wins away from hosting the AAC title game. Cincinnati, as you mentioned, will have Tulane last week of the regular season at home. They've got a road game at Temple uh, to avoid a hiccup there. Temple also not any good. And for Tulane, who's not joining the Big 12, I don't care. You're on your own. Um, you beat Kansas State. 
And don't get me wrong, as I've said, I would love to have New Orleans as a Big 12 town, but until that happens, I don't have to talk much about you other than the fact that your logo is awesome. There's not much better than the green wave that they put on the helmet, and please do that on a regular basis. Um, Houston, congrats on barely beating a... uh, uh, Which bad team did they play? Temple. That's the one. A a week after participating in the highest scoring... Regular, you know, regulation FBS game where you couldn't, you scored 63 points and lost by double digits. You play a close game against Temple, Houston. They are in desperate need of momentum coming into the Big 12. And if they do not win out, that that's going to be, you know, something that they will have to find a way to overcome. You know, they're going to struggle to build on that momentum if there is no momentum to build on when they come into conference play. It's like the the stark opposite for the winner of the AAC, probably UCF or maybe Cincinnati, versus what BYU and Houston are going to come in with. You know, Houston last year was great. This year, underwhelming. BYU last year was great. This year started great, but now they're significantly underwhelming for what they expected in both of those programs. If they come into the Big 12 and are at the bottom of a super deep conference, you know, if they don't start, I think all four of the teams coming into the Big 12, if you don't start with momentum, you're going to struggle for a while. Um, you have to hit the ground running year one and year two if you want to be at the top of the heap once Oklahoma and Texas leave. And there's that, that void in terms of brand power at the top of the Big 12. Um, if you want to make a case for being someone who fills that void as teams like TCU right now are, are stepping towards or Oklahoma state or Baylor from last year, trying to build towards that eventual void at the top. Um, you know, you have to, for the four new schools really hit the ground running. I'm less concerned for BYU. Um, they were off this past week. They've got FCS Utah tech, which should get them their sixth win. And then they'll close out the regular season at Stanford, which is very possible. BYU's had, I think even more injuries than they've even reported this season. And I think that's really derailed their season. And they had a very, very different, difficult schedule. And obviously it's going to be a lot harder in the big 12 than they have, but they're, they're a team that challenges themselves. I do think injuries have derailed their season quite a bit this year. So I'm not, I'm less worried about them than I am for Houston, who, I mean, everything felt like it was in front of them with the way that schedule stacked up. And they have, it has, it has gone very, very, very poorly. Uh, as for, uh, you know, Houston, just to close, they got ECU this week on the road. ECU is, um, I'm, I don't trust Houston. And ECU is spicy. Not a pushover. They're, ECU is spicy. They're fun. Mm-hmm. They're, I mean, they beat, UCF. They went to Cincinnati and lost by two. If they didn't have special teams issues, they should have beat NC State to open the season. Like this is a well-coached ECU team. Mike Houston doing a very good job there. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in Houston. So let's talk about this weekend coming up again. I'm really sorry about basketball. We're going to talk about it more once the regular season of football ends. We have the Midwest Madness podcast. Go and check it out. Robbie Turner is doing a great job. I hate this because Jamie does a great job talking women's basketball. Uh, if you'd like to talk. Women's basketball betting, J-S-T-E-Y-Z on Twitter. She would be happy to talk with you about that. But I figured out my conditional formatting on my spreadsheet. Ooh, that is some nerdy talk. This is talk. a big day. That is some, that's some very nice nerdy talk. John John likes that. Uh, 
I didn't mean I'm that. a fan. I, yes, I didn't mean that weird. All right, week 12. We've got a full docket, full page. Uh, we've got Bedlam down in Norman. We've got the Revivalry in TCU on the road at Baylor. We've got Kansas State at West Virginia. The rematch, the revenge game of the Big 12, Texas at Kansas. Texas Tech at Iowa State, two teams who desperately need a win for bowl eligibility. Uh, we mentioned Houston has uh, ECU. Cincinnati has Temple, UCF has Navy, and BYU has FCS Utah Tech. You know the rule. You cannot pick your own team. Which game are you most interested and excited about this coming weekend? Jamie. I No, no, go ahead. John, start. Just give me your women's basketball game. I know what you're going to do. I promised last week I will pick no more football games. And last week, I already have my pick for this week. So it's very easy. Um, Obviously, there's there's a bunch of good ones, but the best by far is Monday night. So I hope I hope y'all are listening to this right away so that you know and you're ready because Texas goes to stores to take on the Huskies. Yeah. Texas Yukon at Yukon and I mean both of whom have done well. Uh so I mean it'll for sure be top 10 because they're currently Texas at six, you or Texas at three, UConn at six. Uh, that that honestly could change to make UConn ranked even higher. Um, they they played really well their first couple games. Didn't play anyone, but they played really well. Um, so that that's gonna be potentially the best game of the of the young season. That's the one. That's the game. Uh, a couple other spicy ones this week for women's basketball as well. Oh my gosh, why did you just do that to me? And it all up Oklahoma BYU on Tuesday future conference mess matchup, which is always fun when we get those matchups coming in. Uh, Iowa State at Northern Iowa on Wednesday in state game. Very interesting. Oklahoma, They'll learn a lot. Oklahoma on the road at Utah on Wednesday. That should be fun. Uh, oh, they doing a little Utah tour. They are doing a little Utah tour. Kansas State will host Iowa on Thursday. That's number four. Iowa could be kind of fun there. And then, uh, oh wait, nope, nope, stop it. Oklahoma State and Missouri State. Missouri State's a generally pretty solid. Yes. There's a lot. of every, Pretty much everyone has like a solid game this week. Yeah, very exciting on the women's side. Over on the men's side, uh, let me pull it up. I'm getting there. Hold on. I'm going as fast as my computer will allow me to do so. What do we have on the docket this week? Uh, that's a bunch of garbage. Thanks, men. Uh, Kansas-Duke on Tuesday. No Bill Self. Let's see how that one goes. It's the only game on Kansas' schedule without Bill Self. It's your word for Kansas. Texas hosting Gonzaga on Wednesday. Oh, my. Well, that one should be fun. And let's see. Nope. Baylor hosting Virginia. No, Baylor versus Virginia in Vegas on Friday. Oklahoma State versus future Big 12 member UCF in uh, Bahamas on Friday as well. Uh, and let's see what we got on Saturday. Anything of note? Nothing. Cool. I think those are some tournaments that are going to get started this weekend. So we'll see some Saturday matchups based off of how Friday games go. Okay, we talked football. Jamie's out. Jamie's done. John, which football game are you most excited for this coming weekend? Well, the Fox uh, broadcast team will be in Waco for Baylor T2. They saw Baylor's three-point output and thought, that is the game of the week. We will send our big show, our big noon kickoff to Waco 
to see how they fare against an even better team in TCU. But given that I am from Baylor and cannot pick that game, uh, it's hard to say anything other than Kansas State, West Virginia, only because Kansas State is the only other team you know, who controls their own destiny in the Big 12. So every game they play is meaningful in that either they will win their way into the Big 12 title game or they will have something happen in a meaningful game that opens the door for someone else to have a say. Um, I think personally, though, I am interested to see which Oklahoma team shows up and which Oklahoma State team shows up in Bedlam, um, given that they only have a few more of those games left before Oklahoma is out. That is a heated rivalry. And if Oklahoma loses that game, uh, it sets up one of my favorite potential final games of the year, which would be that, that road game in Lubbock where maybe one or both of them need to win to make a bowl game. So I think that is my pick, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State bedlam, uh, since I can't pick my own game. Yeah, this is the most, this is the least relevant bedlam we've had since probably 2009, maybe 2014. Um, It's weird, but it's primetime on ABC. It has been primetime on ABC for like three years in a row now. Um, I can't pick it. Obviously, OSU is my team. That's fine. Um, With a lot of good storylines. I do think TCU at Baylor, and I get it. Uh, but they did the same thing with TCU versus Texas Tech uh, two weeks ago where, you know, uh, I think think Fox is required to do a certain number of, like, pick 12 games, which is There shocking. are only so many unbeaten teams left. So well, and, and having an unbeaten team is they've not— They've got Michigan hosting, I think, Illinois, um, which is a little bit surprising because they've done Michigan versus far worse teams than Illinois. So I'm surprised they didn't go back to Michigan, but it's good to see the big 12 get the opportunity TCU on the road at a Baylor team. This is the rivalry. It's a, it's a rivalry game. It should be heated and interesting. I think Baylor, we make the jokes that Baylor save the offense to face off against TCU. They're going to look a lot better at home against TCU than they did against Kansas state this past weekend and TCU, you know, being able to beat the mighty Texas that they were seven-point underdogs to, and just nobody in national media could figure out how they could beat Texas. Big game for them. I think the storylines are abound. You said it. Kansas State at West Virginia, Kansas State trying. They control their ability to get back to Arlington by going 2-0 and at the regu- end of the regular season. Texas Tech, Iowa State, two teams who still need wins. Iowa State has to win out to get to a bowl game. Texas Tech needs one more, but you do talk about the interesting Texas Tech-Oklahoma game at the end of the season. And look, we can make jokes about Texas, Kansas. Texas is a nine-point favorite on the road in Lawrence. We don't know who's going to play quarterback for Kansas. At this point, I'm starting to think that Jalen Daniels might not be back this season until maybe the bowl game, if at all. We made jokes about it, but it's still, this is a this is a good Kansas team. And Texas is going to go back on the road coming off the performance they had against TCU. They'd expect them to rebound well. But it's still an interesting game. Like We're all going to want to see what happens in that game because we've seen Texas lose to Kansas twice in the last decade, one of only two teams to do so. Um, there's a lot of interesting storylines. There's a lot to play for for everybody this weekend. Like You've got two true rivalry games. You've got teams with a lot to play for. I, this is a really – I know it doesn't set up as like, well, there's no ranked on ranked, and this is a really, really – good Big 12 weekend, I think. Now, the games may not play out that way, but going into them, looking at the matchups, there's a lot of interesting storylines this week. So I'm, I think this is a really good docket. I am hoping to spend most of the day on the couch watching like everything and as much as I can. 
I think most of you guys will be doing the same thing. You guys and gals, all the folks who listen to the show, uh, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at 1012network, T-E-N, the number 12, the word network. Jamie Steyer Johnson on there as well, at J Styes, J-S-T-E-Y-Z. John, do you want your personal one or do you just want CFP resume rankings? Either's fine. You know, CFP resume ranks on Twitter because there's a character limit. But if you look, see a few resume rankings, you'll find us either way. And then personally, J3 Wheeler on Twitter. That would be our Lockheed stats guy, the 1012 statistical guru. Vibe Queen, Discord Overlord, Jamie Steyer Johnson, thank you both for coming on. Jamie, of course, is also the host of the Cyclone Family Podcast, part of the 1012 Network. You can find every show at 1012network.com. Uh, we do have a Discord. There's links on Twitter, on Instagram, we'll put it back up on Instagram and the stories again. If you just want the link and want to come join those who started joining us and chatting in it as well uh, for this weekend, it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, just DM us on Twitter. We'll give it to you. DM us on Instagram at 1012podcast or 1012pod. I don't remember which one it is. It's one of those two. Just look for 1012podcast. You'll find us. Uh, some of the DMs. You search 1012pod, you'll find yeah. it. I'll give you the link. I'll, I'll give you the link. We want as many people to join as possible because remember, Twitter may not be long for this world so. and also discord's fun like you can get on there and chat i plan on hopping on there during some women's basketball games and stuff so uh let us know what your affiliation is so we can set your set it appropriately i'm gonna make it really easy don't worry about it oh did i this is why i fill my show and, and network with smart people who can do the heavy lifting for me uh I'm just yelling I'm, I am old and not tech savvy, which is funny because I'm not even 40 yet. All right. This has been fun. We will be back on Thursday to makes picks. Makes picks. All right. We're done. Podcast Network.